Hey there, thanks for choosing to spend some time in conversation with me again today. I'm Deanna Fletcher and today I'm speaking with church leader, influencer and author Jess Connolly. As we approach Easter, a significant season in the Christian calendar, I thought it would be a good time to talk about grace. Grace is good, of course, but I'll be so ready to accept forgiveness for our pending failure that we forget to pursue holiness. What is grace then, really, and how should we be propelled to change the world through grace bestowed upon us rather than simply hiding behind it? And we'll continue our thread of conversation about leadership as we often do in the Hide of Hearts series. But let's start somewhere like a beginning in our conversation with Jess Conley. Well, Jess, I've never met you before, never spoken to you before, so it's a pleasure, firstly, to sort of meet you. You're, of course, talking (laughs) to me over Skype. It's a little weird that we can do this. It is. It's crazy. It's good, though. So tell us something, tell us a little bit about you and maybe tell me the most interesting thing about yourself in your eyes. Ooh, the most interesting thing about myself in my own eyes. I I would say I am a pretty atypical, um, if you just describe my life, I'm a pastor's wife, I'm a mom of four. Um, To me, I feel like I do not fit what most people most people perceive when they hear that description. <laughs> Our family life is a little wild and um, and a little different, and so is our church. And so, yeah, I would say that's that's what I think is the most interesting thing. Well, how is your church and your family a little bit different to what you think people expect for you to be? Yeah, um, I would say we're a little less than traditional. Our family is... Um, is loud and wild and a little unruly at times. And our church is not, not, not far off either. Um, we're a young church. We have a lot of very young members. Um, we haven't been around for long. Um, and so in a lot of ways, we're just not incredibly traditional. We're, um, a little more raw, especially for where we're at. We're in the Southeast United States where things are very conservative and, um, kind of buttoned up and, We don't really fit that description. I see. Well, it sounds like the way you describe your family and your church would fit in very well over here. That's for sure. I love it. We hear just such great things about uh, about what's happening in the church in the UK and all of Europe. It just sounds wild and wonderful. It is wild and wonderful, and you should definitely come visit us. You should definitely We'd come. love it. And I want to come visit you because you're based in Charleston, and no word of a lie, like I have not spent a lot of time in America, but Charleston just seems like the most picturesque, beautiful place, and it's on my list of places to visit. It is voted number one city in America over and over and over again, like legitimately. So um, it is not a bad place to live. Wow. Um, One of the things that I find interesting about you is you've just described to me that you have a loud church and a loud family, but I remember reading somewhere that you and your husband, you're both pastors, uh, but you're also Mm -hmm. kind of introverts. Is that true? And how does that work out? We are. You you probably wouldn't know meeting us. We can, I mean, we love people and we love community. Um, And so we're certainly not quiet when we enter a room, but we both definitely recharge by being alone. It's interesting, though, because I do think a lot of the time pastors are expected to be these super social, super charged by being around people, um, real extroverts, whereas if you're a little bit melancholy, that's like uh, that's like a bit of a challenge. I love the fact that you would describe yourself as, as more or less introvert people, and it works for you. But why do you describe your husband as being the pastor, or you just said yourself that you're the pastor's wife? Like, why that mm. label? 
Yeah, it's a it's a cultural thing that we're kind of sifting through and waiting through. Um, we grew up in different churches where it was totally unheard of for women to be considered pastors or called pastors or even do pastoral work. And so there was a long time when I would only reference myself as a pastor's wife. I would say like I or I, even a church planter's wife. I, my husband's a church planter. He's a pastor. I'm the pastor's wife. Um, and it's only in the last few years that we've experienced um, just a lot of freedom and healing and new understanding from the Bible about um, God's heart for women and for their role in the church. And so um, it's not just semantics, but we are trying to change our language and change um, what we say and how we do it. But we have reached a point where we say, you know what, women do pastor. They just do. Um, they, I, I am pastoring. I am caring for our, our men and our women. I am leading them, um, and so I am not just my husband's wife. I, I actually do pastor and lead alongside of him. But um, yeah, it's a really interesting cultural thing here. M- most people would not would not refer to me as a pastor or a leader. They would refer to me as the pastor's wife. Has that ever been hard for you doing the work that you do, meeting the people that you meet, writing what you write, both online and in books? Um, you've launched various different projects and, and, and missions. So how does that kind of made you feel to not be able to really call yourself actually what you are, which is a pastor and be on equal <laughs> right. footing? It has not been tidy for me. It's not been, um, it has definitely been a struggle. It's definitely been a struggle. And I feel like I've had to go back constantly to who's the enemy here. Um, like asking myself and asking the Lord, who's the enemy here? Because I can find myself really angry with the establishment or really angry with people or um, even in past, like really angry with my husband, even if it wasn't um, coming from him, but I'd find myself bitter or frustrated at him. Like, why do you all of a sudden have this honor? Why do you, um, why are you expected to use your gifts and I'm not? Or why would why would this entire establishment believe that God would give me these gifts and not then allow me to use them? Um, so I've had to remember who the enemy is, and I think the enemy is the enemy. <laughs> and the enemy is um, the enemy of our souls, and that he has a great scheme going right now um, towards women, which is to make them feel devalued and worthless and... Um, and to even entice them, not just to give up finding and standing in their own worth, but then to entice them with the the lure of fighting for it. And so I've tried to not take the route of fighting and being angry and yelling as much as I have just kind of quiet obedience and trusting the Lord and doing what he's asked me to do. Even if it doesn't look quiet, it actually looks quite loud, but in my heart, it feels more like obedience and less like fighting. But yeah, that's been an absolute, an absolute struggle. Okay. Well, let's chat about your new book, Dance, Stand, Run. Why did you write it? I wrote this book because I noticed in my community and in my own life, we were having a real struggle between grace and holiness. I found that a lot of people in my community and and genuinely starting with myself, we were really having a hard time balancing the two. And I think um, specifically we were believing the lie that women could either be full of grace or be full of truth and that God could either be full of grace or full of truth. But we were having a hard time remembering that he is both um, and that we get to be both Um, by default of Jesus's power in our life. And, um, making a way for us and making us in his image. So 
yeah, just that this real struggle of seeing women um, not grasp that he could be both, that he could be full of grace and full of truth. Well, let's break that down a little bit because grace and holiness, that sounds like a very Christian conversation. So what do, you, mm-hmm. what do you mean by grace and what do you mean by holiness? Which, by the way, is a daunting word. As I was reading your book, I thought to myself, <laughs> we never use the word holiness. It's It seems like a very, it's not a cool thing. It seems also a little bit out of reach and aloof. Yeah, it's, it definitely feels like not a cool thing for women. I feel like we're not hearing a lot of women talk about holiness. When I say grace, I mean the biblical principle, God draws near to us, even when we're at our worst, at just the right time, when we need Him, through His Son, Jesus. Um, And so that sounds like something, if we've been in church at all, we might have heard or known. Um, But I think it's a really powerful concept that we forget and that we can kind of water down if we don't really pay attention to how impactful it is. But yeah, grace, the idea that God leans in. He leans in at just the right time, not when we're good, not when we worked our way to Him, not when we've made ourselves presentable, but leans in towards us because He loves us and makes a way through Jesus. And holiness, I believe, speaks to God's set-apartness, His goodness, His otherworldliness, his perfection, but that he has also then written into our lives by recreating us in his image, also through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the power of Jesus's blood, um, making us like him so that when he leans into us, when we step into relationship with him when we say like do this weird crazy christian magical thing of looking at him and saying like yes i believe i'm into that i want jesus then we are then made like him we are then made holy um and given his same holiness so is holiness i mean we talk about grace a lot but is holiness something you think we've forgotten about and and if so why yeah i and to be totally honest i think we've forgotten about both Um, I think we've said grace so much, we've forgotten what it means, and it's lost its power. I think a good teller that we've forgotten what grace is, is that we've forgotten what holiness is. Because grace means nothing without holiness. Um, If holiness is what makes God separate from us, and sin is what separates us from Him, then we need that grace to get close to Him again. Um, We need Him to lean in towards us. We need Him to come towards us. We need a way, which is grace. Um, And so if we forget about holiness, if we don't talk about the fact that He is, yeah, God, He's holy, He's different, He's good, He's unreachable and untouchable. And if we don't identify those things, then the grace really has no power. Um, And so I do think we've forgotten about holiness, but I also think we've forgotten about grace. And what's sin, though? Because this is the thing. As a as somebody who grew up in a Christian uh, home, um, and I've chosen to stay attached to my faith and be a part of church for my life, I feel that I, I understand what sin is, and it's something that basically, in brief, se- separates us from God. But in today's mm. culture, there are a lot of things that aren't considered sinful. And I realize this might be a bit of a big question, but for a mm-hmm. lot of people... Um, sleeping with their girlfriend or boyfriend, their partner, and not being married isn't considered sinful. It's actually just normal. Like, the, the, or this concept of sin, it's like, well, who are you to say what sin is and what sin isn't? But if we don't understand what sin is, then how can we understand holiness? Because it seems to be the opposite, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I think it's a lot of the a lot of the answer to this question is the way that we approach it, right? So the church has grown a lot. I I, I know the church in in Europe has grown in the same way too. So we're we're not yelling as much at the world about sin because we realize that's not the best way to come at it. Um, so I think let, if we start at holiness, let's start with that. So let's start and say that there's a creator of the universe. Most people will agree we didn't get here by accident. So let's say like, okay, then there had to be some really good, incredible, amazing thing that made all this and is holding it all together and keeping it going. I believe that's God and I believe that he's holy. I believe that he's totally set apart. I believe that he's perfect, that he's good, that he can't do bad. That even when bad things happen to us, that he's using them and allowing them for his glory and for our good. I believe that by grace, he made a way for me to be in a relationship with him. He came towards me at the right time, not when I chose him, but when he chose me, when he saw worth and value in my life. But... What I believe is that the more we encounter him, the more we see him, the more we see these ways that he set up the world to function right and whole, that we'll start to see cracks where we don't do things right and whole. I don't think that he's drawn a bunch of lines um, and set a bunch of rules just to keep us under his thumb. I think he's set up the world in a way that makes it able to function healthy um, I would say, let's take sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't think Jesus's first conversation with anyone in the entire Bible was stop having sex outside of marriage. Now, is that a truth that he holds to because he's full of grace and full of truth? Absolutely. There are times that he looks at women or looks at men and says, like, go and sin no more. Don't do that anymore. But I think the holy, righteous, healthy whole life that he's invited us into is, hey, I've actually designed this beautiful relationship to happen inside the confines of marriage. I think you'll find that if you step into it, if you begin to agree with some of these holy ways that I've written your life to to take part in, you're going to find some abundance. You're going to find some joy. You're going to find some love. It, is it a sin to step outside those bounds? Yes. Why? Because it's not best for you because it won't go best for you. And so I think the way that we talk about sin um, has to change. And if we go first with sin, and if we go first with telling the world what's right and what's wrong and what God likes and what He doesn't like, we'll find they don't get it. And they do feel judged, and they do feel condemned, and they do feel like it's sad and hard and about a bunch of rules. But if we start with God, and if we start with how loving and good and powerful he is. And then we move on to the fact that he made a way for us to be in a relationship with us. And he didn't ask us to earn our way there or do all the things right. Then I think we start to see this picture of him that's a lot more healthy and makes a lot more sense. And we start to see sin as um, not just rules that are there to like confine us and constrain us, but, but more ways that we either agree with the way that he's made us holy like him or ways that we don't. So this is my question then, living a holy life, is that super achievable or is that just daunting? <laughs> That's a great question. I'd say the Bible says that we can agree with the fact that we're made holy. We can act holy. We can um, 
do things in a holy way by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is God's power that lives in us and works in us and tells us stuff to do. Some people might call it a conscience, but we call it, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's part of the Trinity God that's living and active in us. Um, I do think it's possible for us to um, make decisions um, to do things with our hands, with our bodies, with our mouths, with our time, with our money here on earth that are holy and beautiful and are, um, and, and really partner with the idea that we've been made like God. Um, do I think it is possible to live a completely sinless, perfect set apart life in everything we do? No, I think we live under the constraints of a fallen world and, Um, that means that that sin, that brokenness is everywhere around us. And the only one who was perfect was Jesus. The only human who was perfect was Jesus. I don't think we're able to do it all absolutely perfectly all the time. And that's where grace comes back in. Do you think that the holy life, (laughs) for lack of a better way of describing it, um, I mean, you've written you've written um, your book "Dance Stand Run" with women in mind, but you do pastor a church, and as a pastor, you lead men as well. So, I'd love to ask you: Do you think that there's a separation about this between men and women, or does it just look differently? Does does running this sort of race, making good decisions, living a holy life, does it look differently with men than it does with women? Um, and if so, how do you think? Because, of course, the different genders have different struggles. Hmm. I think we do have different struggles. I do think we have different things that that we're going to have to watch. But no, I actually think we're more alike than we think. Um, I'll give you a small example. Like a lot of women, um, especially here in America, especially here in the Southeast, I, I hear a lot of women who struggle with comparison. They're just constantly feeling inferior to the women next to them, to their houses, to their cars, to their bodies, to what they do. Um, and I think there's the temptation to believe like, oh, just just women struggle with comparison. That's just a struggle that we have. But I think a lot of men struggle with that as well. Um, I think sometimes it's less culturally acceptable for them to talk about it. Um, but I think they're there too. So I don't know if, if the question is, is the holy life, is it the same? It's not the same, but I do think it's for sure equally attainable and equally challenging. Let's talk about comparison a little bit because um, you being based in Charleston, you're in the south of the United States, which my picture in my mind is it's, it's, you know, Texas and all these sorts of places, very picture perfect in the way that women present themselves a lot of the time. And I mean, correct me if this is not right, if this is not correct. Right. You're right. Picture perfect the way you look, picture perfect in the way that you should put your life across. And and, um, I suppose it's probably, it's a question about comparison, but also masks, because surely if you're that concerned with how you look to other people, because you feel under pressure that everything has to look perfect all the time, um, by comparison, then you're masking hurt and you're just kind of pretending that everything's great and you really you just know how to do your hair properly and your makeup and never leave the house without it. So how do we break down walls and overcome hurt and kind of just, I suppose, accept that, yeah, you know what, I'm on this road to holiness. My life isn't perfect yet. I don't care what anyone else says or thinks. How do you do that? For me, drawing closer to God, the closer I stay to Him, the more I learn about him, about his heart, about what he wants me to do, the less I have time to compare, honestly. 
Um, one of my favorite verses is Psalm 16, where it says, you have drawn pleasant boundary lines for me. Um, and I think there's something about really stepping into the intimacy with God that I'm, that I'm able to by grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the closer I get to God, the more time I spend with him, the more time I spend in the Bible, I just, the less enamored I am by the world, the less I need to put on a mask, the, the less I want to impress. Um, and the more I just want to be who he's made me to be. That is a great answer. I think to a question that affects everyone, it's hard to let go and not compare. And with, I mean, I'm not blaming social media. I think social media is great, but Instagram can be so addictive where we're just scrolling mindlessly and constantly opening the app and all this kind of stuff and looking at this picture-perfect life that, I don't know, it could be anyone, could be you. I could be looking at your Instagram going, Mm -hmm. oh, doesn't it look lovely in Charleston? Um, Do you think that we should put boundaries in place as we're talking about comparison with things like this? Are boundaries a good thing? Like what kind of um, fences can can we put around ourselves to just help alleviate some of that distress of I, my life doesn't look like that, I don't measure up. Because sometimes, because we're not careful with what we see, these sorts of thoughts are planted in our minds. We don't even necessarily are aware that we think so negatively of ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think the number one fence is exactly what you're saying. I think like asking God and and committing to the awareness of what am I even saying in my thoughts? Like what 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 are those thoughts? And once we capture them, then we can change them, then we can renew them. Um, it's interesting. I'm not the biggest proponent of staying away from the things that make us struggle. This, is, this might be a very different opinion. For example, let's say Instagram causes people to struggle or stumble or um, or, or want to be someone different. Um, so some people might say, like, okay, well, see, maybe you should stay off of that. Maybe you should not get on it so often. And I would say, if you're struggling with comparison and if you're struggling with wanting to put forward a fake picture of who you are, you're going to be struggling with that on Sunday morning when you gather to worship with your church. Um, I would go to the root cause of why why and that's where a lot of times like it's it's a very simple answer but more time with god to me is the solvent for a lot of those issues um it's really hard for me to spend time with god to spend time in the word to spend time talking to him about what he wants to do in my life and then hop on social media and say like oh I just wish that I had as nice of a sofa as that other girl. (laughs) It's really hard for me to be so enamored with him and then immediately turn my affections to something else. Um, Whereas if I just said, you know what, I'm going to stay off social media this week. I'm going to keep that temptation away from myself. Then I never touch the root issue. And I walk into church on Sunday and I see my friend and um, I don't know, she has a really beautiful outfit on. And my immediate thought goes to, oh, I wish I had that beautiful outfit. You know, so I'm more a fan of, of, of not staying away from the things that make us stumble, but running to the things that cause us to worship. And I think that's a lot of what the book is about, genuinely, um, is, is talking less about the things that we shouldn't do and talking more about the things that we get to do. Yes, I would completely agree with you. And I think you've made a very good point there. So how do we create a more intimate relationship with God? Because you're really making it sound like it's something that we just can't be without. (laughs) Yeah, I think that anytime we complicate it, um, we're making a big mistake. And so um, I'm a strong believer in prayer and reading the Bible. 
simply praying and reading the Bible. And so by praying, um, I mean doing this weird thing where I talk to God either out loud or in my head and believe He listens. Um, I don't always believe naturally that He listens, but I choose to believe. And and sometimes I even say when I start praying, I'm going to talk to you. I'm not totally sure that this is even normal or not crazy, but I'm going to keep talking and I'm going to believe, I'm going to try to believe that you can hear me. And what's more, I'm going to believe that you can talk back. I'm going to believe that you have things to say back to me, that this is a conversation that you're going to respond in. And I'm going to wait until I feel something in my spirit stirring in me, that I I hear something back from you or that I hear something back from you as I go throughout my day or as I read the Bible. And then, um, yeah, secondly, the Bible, I just, I'm a big fan of just reading it, not trying to dissect it, not trying to understand it so that I can teach it to everybody else not trying to conquer it and fill my head with it so that I can know a lot about the Bible, but actually just reading it as if it's a true story. Um, if it's a story of God and His people and what I can learn about Him and what I can um, see about His character if I'll just dive in. Um, and so those are two of just my favorite ways to really deepen your relationship with God or start your relationship with God. And they're not flashy and they're not fancy, um, but I, I'm a wholehearted believer in prayer and reading the Bible. Well, it sounds like it works. So if it's simple <laughs> and it works, all the better. Right. Okay. So knowing what you know now, what would you say to your 20-year-old self if you could pass on advice? I would say take it too far. Don't hold back. All the good things in life that you think you might be supposed to be doing, really do them. Really do them. Don't hold back. Take it too far. Don't do them in a light way. Don't do them in a gentle way. Don't do them fearful of who's watching or what they're thinking. Um, Whether it's praying or reading the Bible or teaching or serving or leading or loving your husband or dancing or laughing. Do them with passion and vigor and excitement and joy. Great advice. Before I let you go, what would you like to see? We've talked a lot about grace. We've talked a lot about holiness. We've talked a lot about comparison um, and cultivating a really intimate relationship with God. What would you like to see as a culture in more women, in more men of today, particularly maybe millennials or 20-somethings, 30-somethings, what would you like to see if there was one mantle we were to pick up that would really positively change us, our our, our culture as well? Um, Yeah, what would you like to see us take hold of, do you think? I would love to see us stop shying away from the scarier parts of faith, whether that's reading the Bible, talking about things like holiness, serving our neighbors who are broken down. But any anything I think that has scared us in the past, I, I would love to see our generation run towards those things instead of stay away from them. Well, that is a great place to end on. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My thanks to Jess Connolly for speaking with us today. Her book, Dance, Stand, Run, is available now from Zondervan and wherever really great books are sold. If you haven't already, please do hit subscribe now so you don't ever miss out on any Hide of Heart episodes to come and you can find us across social media platforms as well. Until next time, though, thanks for listening. 